ready? Yeshua the Messiah, the light of the world. Amen. Amen. And now the Kiddush, blessing over the cup. Baruch Adonai, Eloheinu melech haolam, Borei pri hagahafen, Amen. Blessed art thou, O Lord our God, King of the universe, who creates the fruit of the vine. Amen. Amen. And now the blessing over the bread. Hamotzi lechem min haaretz, we give thanks to God for bread. Our voices rise in song together, as our joyful prayer is said. Baruch atarunai, Eloheinu melech olam, hamotzi lechem min haaretz, amen. Blessed art thou, O Lord our God, King of the universe, who brings forth bread from out of the earth. Amen. Amen. All of that. <laughs> now, husbands, if you will bless your wives. Dear Heavenly Father, I thank you, Lord, for the wonderful wife that you've given me. And Father, we thank you and I pour out a blessing upon all the wives on this Sabbath day. I pray that you bless her, strengthen her, and encourage her as she rises in the night to see about the ways of the household. And I pray that you strengthen her as she teaches and educates our children. Father, I pray that you pour out your very best blessing upon her and that you would encourage her in everything that she does. Let her know how worthy of praise and honor that she is. And Father, I confess with all of my heart that I love her and I thank you, Lord, for her. We also bless all of the widows and orphans, those without a father or a husband at this time as well. We thank you in Yeshua's name. Amen. Amen. All right, now let's bless our sons. May the Lord bless you and keep you. May the Lord make his face to shine upon you and be gracious to you. May the Lord lift up his countenance upon you and give you peace. And may you be as Ephraim and Manasseh. Amen. 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 Let's bless our daughters. May the Lord bless you and keep you. May the Lord make his face to shine upon you and be gracious to you. May the Lord lift up his countenance upon you and give you peace. And may you be as Ruth and as Esther. Amen. Amen. Shabbat Shalom. Shabbat Shalom. Shalom. Please join us for the Baruchu, the call to worship. Baruchu et Aronai Hamvorach. Baruch Aronai Hamvorach Leolam Vaed. Bless the Lord who is to be praised. Blessed be the Lord who is praised for all eternity. Amen. And now the Michamocha. Michamocha. Ma'elim Adonai Michamocha Nedar Bakodesh Norate Hilot 
Blessing of Messiah. Baruch atah Adonai Eloheinu melech haolam asher natan lanu et derech haYeshua b'Mashiach Yeshua. Altogether, blessed are you, O Lord our God, King of the universe, who has given us the way of salvation in Messiah Yeshua. Amen. And now the Vishamru. Vishamru v'nei Yisrael et Hashabbat la'asot et Hashabbat la'doratam berit olam b'nei Ovayan b'nei Yisrael oti le'olam. Kishishet yamin asa aronai et hashmayim va et haralets uvayom hashvi'i shvat vayinefash. Altogether, the children of Israel shall keep the Sabbath and observe the Sabbath throughout their generations as an everlasting covenant. It is a sign between me and the children of Israel forever. For in six days the Lord made heaven and earth, and on the seventh day he ceased from work and was refreshed. Amen. And now the Shema. If you would all turn and face east toward Jerusalem for the watchword of our faith, the Shema. Shema Yisrael, Adonai Eloheinu, Adonai Echad, Baruch Shem Kevod Malchuto, Le'olam va'ed Yeshua HaMashiach Hu Adonai Hear, O Israel, the Lord is our God, the Lord is one. Blessed be His name, whose glorious kingdom is forever and ever. Yeshua the Messiah, He is Lord. Amen. And now the Ve'ahavta. Ve'ahavta et Adonai Elochecha. Bechol levavcha, uvchol nafshecha, uvchol meyodecha. Vahayu hadevarim ha'alei asher anochi mitzavcha hayom al levavcha. Vashinantam levanecha, vidibartabam, vashivtacha, babethcha, uvlechtecha, viderech, uvshuchbecha, uvkumicha. Ukshartam leot al yedecha, vahayu letotafot benanecha. Uktaftam al mezuzot betecha uvisharecha. Altogether, and you shall love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, and with all your might. And these words which I command you this day shall be upon your heart, and you shall teach them diligently to your children, and shall speak of them when you sit in your house, and when you walk by the way, when you lie down, and when you rise up. You shall bind them for a sign upon your hand, and they shall be for frontlets between your eyes. You shall write them upon the doorposts of your house and upon your gates. Amen.
day shine upon and be gracious to you. Lord, turn his face toward you and give you peace. Keep me to your Welcome to our Arab Shabbat broadcast here at B'nai Shalom, and glad to have you join us. We are now in the holiday period, the fall holidays, and we are down to the last two portions of the Torah cycle for this year. This uh, Shabbat is Shabbat Ha'azinu, and it is the Song of Moses. This portion is always taught. Uh, between Rosh Hashanah and Yom Kippur. And essentially, the Torah is coming to a conclusion. Moses is saying his final goodbyes, his final messages uh, for the children of Israel. And in this particular one, he gives us a song. It's called the Second Song of Moses. Uh, The first song of Moses is the one when they cross the Red Sea, And I'm sure you're familiar with the expression, the horse and rider is thrown into the sea. That's the song of Moses when they came out of Egypt. But now getting ready to cross the Jordan and go into the land, Moses sings another song for it. And it's a very interesting uh, song. And I'm going to read some parts to it because it's very uh, flowery and eloquent, you know, in its presentation. As a literary piece, it really kind of stands out in a special way. Not only that, but in the actual Sefer Torah scroll, the scribes also lay this out in the in the uh, in the parchments in a very unique way. They use what is called a brick pattern, in which that the, on the far right margin you'll have a section of text, then a gap. And then you'll go all the way to the left margin. You'll have some text, nothing in the middle. Then the next line comes down instead of on the margins where there's text in the middle. So it's kind of on the ends, in the middle, on the ends, in the middle. And we call that a brick pattern. And the text is laid out in that kind of fashion so that it's very striking. When you open a Torah scroll up and you're looking in the Hebrew, it's very specific in, in its presentation. Now, uh, what's fascinating, I'm going to come back here and talk about this just a little bit uh, about it, but let me quickly tell you about the Haftor portion. The Haftor portion comes from text that is from 2 Samuel 22. 
If you go to the Hebrew uh, scriptures in 2 Samuel 22, the scribes in putting together 2 Samuel in the Hebrew, they follow this brick pattern. The same brick pattern that's done by the scribes in the Torah, this brick pattern is used to write this portion of 2 Samuel uh, uh, 12, and uh, that is the Hoftor portion to go with it. And the portion that we're going to look at in 2 Samuel is too, as it, it matches uh, the Song of Moses in that it's a very flowery and very eloquent presentation. And I'll read some of the words for you of it as well so you can see the comparison. It's a little bit like uh, here we are coming to the end of the Torah, and it's now time to kind of wrap things up. Uh, to put your best foot forward, so to speak, you know, say your farewells as, as best you can. And that's what Moses is doing here with the children of Israel. He's going to give them something that will cause them to remember, uh, to receive what he has given in the body of the work of the Torah and to, to in, take it in and absorb it and receive it as well as they possibly can. Let me take you to um, Ha'azinu. And in Deuteronomy, and let me take you to some of the original words that Moses gives us from the Song of Moses. It begins in chapter 32 of Deuteronomy, and it begins with these words. Give ear, O heavens, and let me speak, and let the earth hear the words of my mouth. Let my teaching drop as the rain, my speech distill as the dew, as the droplets on the fresh grass and as the showers on the herb. For I proclaim the name of the Lord, ascribe greatness to our God. The rock, his work is perfect, for all his ways are just. A God of faithfulness and without injustice, righteous and upright is he. Now, that opening set of words, uh, there's a lot of commentary that's given to this, and they say this is, uh, it paints a picture. First of all, Moses, in an effort to talk to us, doesn't talk directly to us. He says, give air to me, O heavens and the earth. In other words, the rest of creation, listen to what I have to say. Well, if you're Israel, you're going, well, what about us? And, and it's, it's intended to pique your attention, actually, in, t- in technique we call the stimulus motivation. It's to stimulate you, motivate you to hear what he has to say. And he uses a very powerful uh, methodology of doing that here. Most good teachers... Um, when they come uh, and to teach classes, will use some form of what is called stimulus motivation to keep your attention, to hold your attention, so that you can receive the information that the teacher is trying to give to you. And Moses starts off with this very powerful, very eloquent stimulus motivation trying to get our attention. Now, what does he say after he's talking to the heavens and the earth? What does he say uh, with regard to the message that he wants us to all pay attention to? Verse 6, 
Do you thus repay the Lord, O foolish and unwise people? Is not he your father who brought you? He has made you and established you. Remember the days of old. Consider the years of all generations. Ask your father, he will inform you. Your elders, and they will tell you. When the Most High gave the nations their inheritance, when he separated the sons of man, he set the boundaries of the people according to the number of the sons of Israel. For the Lord's portion is his people. Jacob is the allotment of his inheritance. He found him in a desert land and in a howling waste of a wilderness. He encircled him. He cared for him. He guarded him as the pupil of his eye, like an eagle that stirs up its nest that hovers over its young. He spread his wings and caught them. He carried them on his pinions. The Lord alone guided him and there is no foreign God with him. He made him ride on the heights of the earth. He ate the produce of the field, and he made them suck honey from the rock and oil from the flinty rock, curds of cows and milk of the flock with fat of lambs and rams the breed at Bashan and goats with the finest of the wheat and the blood of grapes you drank wine. Now, obviously, at that point, uh, although it's in the third person, Moses is talking to Israel. And he's basically saying, hey, remember where we came from? What, what, do you remember what God did with this? You know, you know, we were, we were out there in that place and he gathered us up and he brought us out and he uses all this interesting language, by the way. And let me just mention some of this, some of the details on it, because it's very profound and it sets for inter- Bible interpreters, it sets kind of the a standard for what will follow by the prophets. Namely, what am I talking about? Well, he starts talking about that, that they came out of a desert land. Israel came out of a desert land. And the Negev and the southern part of Israel and going down into Egypt and the Sinai, this is a desert wilderness land. The, Israel was born out of this kind of land. Um, and it, how he continued to care for him. Like an eagle that stirs up his nest, he hovers over the young. He spread his wings out and caught them. He carried them on his pinions. Now you have this picture of a giant eagle who's holding on to Israel and so forth. That symbology is the symbology of the Exodus. Elsewhere by the prophets, they refer to the Exodus as when God took the wings of the eagle and carried Israel. And for and in fact, in future prophecies, that's the same symbology that refers to the greater Exodus. The God will be like the wings of the eagle will gather us up. Now there's some people who may have heard an end time prophecy about the wings of an eagle. And in fact, I've heard different uh, prophecy teachers try to say, well, suggest that, well, obviously we're going to have a great air lift and we'll be flying everybody over to Israel. No, no, that's not what it's talking about. It's talking about this set, this eagle, this set of wings. It's talking about when God brought Israel out of Egypt in an exodus. And he's talking about a future exodus uh, that will take place. And this expression, the wings of the eagle, is the language that's used throughout the Bible, prophets, and all the way to the, the end-time prophecies about the greater exodus uh, from that. So he brought them out by an exodus from Egypt, and, 
And if you step back from the Torah, as we're coming to a conclusion of it, you know, what has this book really been about? What has what, what the five books of Moses really been about? They're really about this generation that God delivered out of Egypt. They traveled through the wilderness. God made a covenant with them and promised them the promised land that he, he would take him and give them the promised land. The, the whole book is about that. And, and the first book, Genesis, is really explaining how did they get stuck in Egypt to begin with so that they had to come out you know, with it. The Exodus story, the Egyptian Exodus story, is the dominant feature of the five books of Moses. Well, as you can imagine, that was the dominant feature of his life and those that were with him at that time. However, having done that, he has now laid the foundation, spiritual foundation, for all of God's people for ages to come. He's given us the principles to live by, laws to, to govern ourselves by and to live by. And at the same time, he's hinted at the end of the age that what happened with that generation coming out of Egypt Something's going to happen to the last generation that will involve them coming out of the world and going into the ultimate promised land, the messianic kingdom. So the pattern has been set for us, it's put forth, and here's Moses laying out this pattern. What, what has transpired in the life of Israel uh, while they've been traveling alone? And he goes on he goes on further to say this, verse 12, The Lord alone guided him, and there's no foreign God with him. He made him ride on the heights, uh, places of the earth, and he ate the produce of the field. Now he's talking about, I, I brought, he's speaking in the future. He says, I'm going to put you in the promised land, and this is what you're going to eat, and this is what you're going to do. When I put you in the promised land, you'll be on the heights of the earth. And for us, we can look forward to when we get to the Messianic kingdom. By the way, if you take a quick poll, um, believers today, and you say, hey, if we make it the promised land, how would you compare that with all of the previous ages? How would you compare that with mankind's uh, previous years living on the earth? Well, without, uh, without exception, everybody's going to say, well, the Messianic kingdom, the promised land, that would be far greater. Well, that's, what, that's essentially what Moses is doing here. He's describing uh, a far greater thing for Israel than even they have experienced at this point. He, he specifically says this. He said, they will suck rock from, from honey from a rock, oil from a flinty rock, curds of cows, milk of the flock, fat of lambs, Rams, the breed of Bashan, that, by the way, that was the greatest ones, and goats, and the finest of wheat, the blood of grapes, you drank wine. In other words, the very best of the creation uh, would be in the promised land, and the very best of the creation would be in the messianic kingdom. I might just uh, add this here with the fat of lambs. You know, today, um, food and diets, why, um, you know, if you say the fat of lambs, I can just tell you right now, there's a lot of people that would go, well, that doesn't sound very good. However, most of you have not eaten good lamb before. And uh, one of the things that I've enjoyed in my lifetime was 
eating lamb and learning how to eat lamb. And if you come to my house and I fix uh, rack of lamb or lamb chops, you'll find out what eating lamb is all about. And I will tell you, when you get the rack of lamb, you get the choice cut of the lamb. There's this bone. It's like a rib bone, and it's, and it's got this eye of the meat, which is very tender, very tasty, and so forth. But there's this little strip of fat that extends from that meat down along that bone. And when you cook that, and that fat melts with the bone and with the, um, with the meat, I'm just telling you, when you go to eat it, it's like the finest meat you've ever put in your mouth. The flavor and the taste is just incredible. In fact, I love a good steak. I mean, I really do. But if I had a choice between lamb and steak, I would go for the lamb every time. So when it talks about the fat of lambs, it's talking about lamb ribs and lamb chops and that little strip of fat there. And he's, he's talking about something that's really noteworthy uh, for us. In fact, each of these descriptions here are very noteworthy descriptions, and each one in their own, uh, you could make a compelling case uh, for them. But then uh, the word is going to shift in Hazinu, verse 15. It says, but Yeshurun grew fat and kicked. You've grown fat, thick, and sleek. Then he forsook God who made him. Yeshurun is an interesting, it's a very fancy name for Israel. Yeshurun means the upright one or the righteous one. And Moses purposely uses this very positive, very complimentary title for Israel, oh, righteous one, and then turns around and says, you're totally unrighteous. And it's, it's part of the stimulus. It's part of that stimulus motivation. He's trying to get their attention and trying to get them, wait a minute, God purposed these things for you. Are you doing what God purposed? No, you're not. You got to get this turned around. I think Moses knew when uh, he handed the reins over to Joshua and he no longer was going to be leading Israel. I think Moses knew that Israel would go into the land and would not listen to his instruction, would not follow his ways that God had given, and that Israel was going to suffer the consequences. I, I believe that very sincerely because Moses was very profound in announcing what the consequences were going to be. And in fact, here in the rest of this song, that's what he does. He announces to Israel, these are going to be the consequences because you won't listen, because you won't, you won't apply it. You won't do it. You'll go off on your own. You'll forsake God. You'll forget him. And by the way, you know, how do you forsake God? I mean, really? Well, you just forget. You just get out of the habit of paying attention to the Lord, and next thing you know, why other things happening, you get busy with this and that, and it's a little bit like uh, going to Sabbath services. You know, if you're on your game, why you attend Sabbath and you keep every holiday and so forth, but you know this, you know, uh, things happen, things come up, you're fatigued one week, or family comes in one week, or whatever, 
and and so you miss. Well, it, it you know it's okay. It's it, you know you can miss once in a while, but then you do it repeatedly, and then again and again, and the next thing you know, you're gone. You forget, and you walk away. In the course of my ministry, I've had a lot of people who've come, sat under my instruction, very excited to hear my instruction, which was very complimentary. I was glad they got edified and that they got a lot of benefit out of it. But then I've also watched the same people. If all of a sudden they kind of start missing a couple of our meetings, after about three months, they're gone. They're completely gone. It, it doesn't take very long when you step away from the Lord before you start forgetting the Lord and start not doing it. Israel did this uh, repeatedly. We ourselves know what that's all about. We ourselves have done the same thing. And Moses is trying to say, you can't do that, guys. You can't do that. You can't maintain and keep things going. Um, you know, spiritually before the Lord because of that. Um, And the same is true today for us. Part of his song is an effort to appeal to Israel to maintain that relationship with him. Now, let me, I've I've covered enough here on the Torah portion. Let me slip over. Let's talk about the Haftor portion, which is, um, comes to us in 2 Samuel. And... uh, as I mentioned to you before, in Second Samuel, it also is kind of a, a song. Well, in fact, it is a song. In fact, let me read to you. This is from Second Samuel 22, beginning at verse 1. It says, And David spoke unto the Lord, and the words of this song in the day that the Lord delivered him out of the hand of all his enemies and out of the hand of Saul, and he said, and then he begins this song. This is David's song, not Moses' song, David's song. It says, the Lord is my rock and my fortress and my deliverer. The God who is my rock, in him I take refuge, my shield, my horn of salvation, my high tower, and my refuge, my Savior, thou saveth me from violence. Now what follows here in Second Samuel, and what I just read to you, is Psalms 18. This is one of the places in the Bible a lot of people don't know this. 2 Samuel 20, uh, 22 is Psalms 18. I mean, the same words. It's the same psalm. It's just that in 2 Samuel, he documented what the song was, and then in the book of Psalms, you have the song again uh, over there. And the reason why I think that... um, Teachers, Torah teachers, have connected this passage to the Torah portion. Not only is it because they're songs, not only is it because the scribes write the text in the Hebrew text in this brick pattern, as as we had this very special pattern uh, for it. Excuse me, let me correct something I just said. I said that the Haftor portion was written in the brick pattern. That's not correct. The Haftor portion... The Torah portion, let me correct this, was written in two columns. Um, and it's right justified in two columns um, uh, for it to be done. 
And, it, and it's very obvious you're looking at Hazinu when you see it, and very obvious you're looking at Psalms 18 when you see this. And they, so the special way of the scribes writing it is part of the parallelism of how they come together uh, for that. But there's also a content item that is in here that's very, very specific to it. Um, and that is in the words where he says, the God who is my rock. Moses talks about the Lord as being the rock of his salvation. And in fact, if you take this theme about God being the rock, you will find this is laid out all through the Scripture. The Psalms, the prophets, and all the way up to the New Testament. Now, I'm not sure what Ephraim's going to cover in the New Testament, but he might cover when Yeshua talked about the rock. When Yeshua talked about the man who built a house on a rock. Because the rock stands as an interesting symbol about God from the very beginning and to the present time. Let me take you back to a recent teaching that we had in the Torah where the children of Israel were needing water and they didn't have enough water. And so they began to complain. They went to Moses. Moses went to God and said, hey, God, we got to have some help here. They're almost about to kill me. Um, he says, okay, I want you to take your staff, take uh, Aaron, take the elders, go out, speak to the rock, and God will provide water. Well, you know the story. He went out and he struck the rock and water came forth, but then God announced to Moses, you just lost your ticket to the promised land. Uh, you didn't speak to the rock. You struck the rock. You didn't do what I said. And therefore, because you didn't do what I said, you demonstrated to me you don't believe me. And that's what he charged Moses with. He said, you don't believe me, so you're not going to the promised land. And, of course, we talked about in the past about of all the people that are entitled to go to the promised land, surely it would be Moses uh, for all that he did. I mean, this guy that had the conversation with God at the, at the burning bush. Well, it follows through that the rock becomes the symbology of the Messiah who brings forth the living waters that spring up into eternal life and that you must believe in him, but it's, it doesn't stop there. It also includes you must listen to what the Lord said. And if the Lord said, speak to the rock, then don't go strike it. That was the mistake Moses made. Let me also tell you that Yeshua, when he came teaching about believing in him, and I, and I know a lot of my Christian brethren um, you know, love to emphasize this. In fact, they emphasize it to the extent that it somehow is different from what we would teach from the Torah. In the Torah teaching, we would tell you to love the Lord your God with all your heart, soul, and might, keep the commandments and the Ten Commandments. We would tell you to do that. But they want to focus in on uh, the specifically just believing, just in believing. Um, 
And uh, we, we'd love to do this verse, John 3.16. This is the one that Christians will emphasize. For God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten son that whosoever believes in him should not perish but have eternal life. And they kind of stopped there. Let's read the last verse in chapter 3. This is Yeshua also talking in the same conversation. And he says, but he, he who believes in the Son has eternal life. But he who does not obey the Son shall not see life, but the wrath of God abides on him. Now, Christians don't mention that part. They don't mention the fact, you mean I can believe in him, but if I don't listen to his words, I don't obey his words, the wrath of God is upon me and I don't have eternal life? Yes, that's what Yeshua said. Yeshua said that. He also said, for example, if you love me, keep my commandments. People who say, oh, I love God. Yeah, well, let me see the commandments you keep. That will tell me whether or not you love him. Don't use words. Show me your deeds. This is what James was talking about. You say you believe in God. Show me your works. Show, show me what you do. This is the teaching that Moses gave us. This is the teaching that Yeshua taught us. And this is the teaching the Apostle Paul and James and the other apostles taught. How in the world did we ever get to the idea in Christian teaching, that we just believe, and by the grace of God, it's all free from that point on. And that grace is adequate enough to cover all of our sins and transgressions. Even if we don't obey the Lord ever again, we're still saved. Where did we get that? Well, that wasn't from Paul, because he said, should we go and sin so that grace may abound? God forbid. Moses is trying to tell the children of Israel, if you go into this land now that you've received this information from the Lord, if you don't obey the Lord, things are not going to work out for you. You, you think once you get here, you got it made. You, you don't have it made. We're just, God is fulfilling promises, his promises. That's what's taking place. So that's our word for this week. And as we are in the week between Rosh Hashanah and Yom Kippur, as we come to Yom Kippur, maybe we should, when we're afflicting our souls and being somber, consider the fact that we need to obey the Lord. And we need to make sure that our repentance is a full turn away from transgressing the commandments and a full turn toward keeping the commandments. Because if we believe in the Messiah, we will keep those commandments if we love him and believe in him. So that's our portion for this week. Shabbat shalom to all of you. If you would now turn in your Bibles to the book of Romans, to chapter 10, hold your finger at verse 14, where our Brett Hadashah portion will begin for this week. And as you open the scripture, let us turn this time over to the Lord. Heavenly Father, we thank you, Lord, uh, once again for your Torah, your teaching, your instruction. And Father, as we are uh, closing out the Torah cycle with this, the second to last portion, Father, I pray that, uh, as always, may the word come alive and be powerful. May it minister to your people, to Israel. 
scattered throughout the nations. Father, I pray that this would be the word and the voice that goes out from this ministry as well as the other ministries that we work together with. And Father, I pray that you would bless this time, bless this Sabbath as we uh, turn this time and this teaching over to you. We thank you for all of these things. It's in your son Yeshua that we pray. Amen. Our Torah portion is Ha'azinu, which means give ear. It's the penultimate Torah portion uh, beginning in Deuteronomy chapter 32, and it is the second song of Moses. It is the Moses' final uh, words of instruction, warning to the children of Israel uh, before they enter into the promised land, and this is in in everything that's been said before. Now it's in the form of a song, a song that uh, has is poetic and that we can remember it and we can hear these words uh, that are given to us as the the words of, of Moses to teach us that, yes, the Lord has blessed us. Yes, the Lord has delivered the children of Israel through the wilderness. And yet, we will be disobedient. Yes, we will grow fat and with all the blessing that we have, only to then be judged, only to be scattered into the nations, only then to be made jealous of the nations. When the word goes out into the nations to bring the children of Israel back, uh, what's going to happen? Even though It's a prophecy of judgment upon Israel, this song of Moses that is given to us. Ultimately, it's necessary. It was necessary for the children of Israel to be scattered into the nations because out of the regathering of Israel does all of the families of the earth be blessed and be gathered back to Israel to be one with the God that created them. This is the greatest story ever told. Hollywood tries to capture the magic of these stories in all of the romantic comedies where the the story goes, boy gets girl, boy loses girl, boy gets girl back again. And by act three, we everyone is happy and rejoicing and crying and and what a compelling story that it is. Such is the nature of the relationship between God and mankind. In the beginning, in the garden, we were one with God. We loved each other. We were we were in covenant with each other. But the children of Israel and the sons of and mankind separate ourselves from God. We, we divide ourselves from God with evil and with sin and with all of these things. And we are not one with the Lord anymore. But the love story doesn't end there. God still loves mankind, loves his creation, loves his people, chooses Israel among all people to be a kingdom of priests, to be the representative of God's covenant relationship with mankind. And so then through the deliverance of the sending of prophets, the sending of a Messiah, all of Israel is to be gathered back again with the Lord. And in the process of that, does all of the families of the earth, where Israel has been scattered into the nations, they will gather and reap the harvest of the of souls of the world and join back together and come back to God. This is the most compelling love story that has ever been written, and it's simply the history of mankind and the creation of God. So, with that as a preface to why we're talking about this, this is why Israel had to be scattered. So that that regathering could, could, could happen. Now, how does that regathering happen? Well, we as a messianic ministry here at Lion and Land Ministries have been laboring to see that regathering. The restoration of the whole house of Israel. The restoration of Ephraim and Judah and the Israel and the kingdom of Judah and the northern kingdom and the southern kingdom. And bringing all of these things back together. This is why my father named me what he named me. So that we would see this prophecy happen. So this is what we're talking about. 
This is our goal. This is the plan. And this is the message of the gospel and the message of why Yeshua came, sent out his disciples into the nations with the testimony of Yeshua so that the people would hear the testimony and come back and repent and return back to believing in God and keeping his commandments as he gave them to Moses and gave us the law for us to obey and show that we love the Lord and we are in covenant with him. Faith comes by hearing. We have to hear the word, the, the, the voice of God, the testimony of the Messiah goes into the nation so that when somebody hears it, they respond. They hear it and they remember. They hear it and they repent. They hear it and they turn back. They hear it and they cry out to the God that created them. I saw a cool uh, series of videos on YouTube recently where it was a non-Christian listening to contemporary Christian worship music. And he's, and, and he's a musician himself, so he knows what good music sounds like. He knows, you know, the good chord progression, you know, drums, whatever it might be. And they put, and they, they have him listen to the, some contemporary Christian worship music, stuff that's recent in the last couple of years. And he's hearing it, and he's enjoying the music and the flow of the contemporary genre of music. But then he starts reacting to the words. He starts reacting to the words. Even though he himself is not a professed Christian, he hears the words and he starts crying. When the song is about the love of God, about how God loves his people, and then he's sitting there and he's all like, we're singing about this love song between God and his people, and he takes a step back and he says, "What? why can't we love each other that way? And it's like the, he, he's, he, the music penetrated his spirit and he gets it. This love that God has for us, why don't we have that love for one another? Why don't we have that same type of love? And it's that hearing of that music, of that word, that penetrates the soul. That causes a reaction, that, 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 that causes tears to come to then learn something and realize something. And that's exactly the whole purpose of the song of Moses at the end of Torah. And that the words of God is supposed to penetrate us, go into our ears, and stir in us a reaction. That's why he sent prophets. That's why there is such thing as a work of prophecy, is one that speaks the word of God to a people that need to hear it so that they might repent and turn back. Not a prophet that predicts the future, but a prophet that says, do this and reap the blessings, or don't do this and reap the curses, now you choose. And the words of the prophet and that lesson and that choice is supposed to compel you or convict you to make the right decision. And not that he's he's predicting the future, what a prophet might be considered to do. It's like, no, well, the words that were spoken penetrated you to hear and to obey and to react to what the Lord is trying to say to you. For our Brit Hadashah portion for this, uh, for the portion of Ha'azinu, which means give ear, there's a beautiful passage of scripture that I want to home in, focus on, that really this entire message is going to basically be a commentary on the last half of Romans chapter 10 and Romans chapter 11. Because it's all about the words of uh, Paul, the apostle, speaking to Gentiles, 
to the Romans and talking about how the word and the testimony of the Messiah is so so that all might be blessed, so that all might be adopted in as believers in Christ into the family of God and that we then receive the blessings of the inheritance of God. But while at the same time talking about Israel, giving Israel as an example of the one and the people who rejected God, rejected the commandments, killed every prophet, killed the Messiah, Yet the Lord still loves Israel, and it sh- and Israel is the pattern and the example of how much love God truly has for his people and for his creation. And Paul is teaching us and giving this contrast to us. I talked about this last week in last week's portion, the beginning part of Romans chapter 10, where he's quoting and talking about how the word of God is very near to you. It's not so far off in the heavens or in the abyss or across the sea or or any of these things, but it's very near to you. All you have to do is confess. And when it says, whoever calls on the name of the Lord shall be saved. Now he continues on, beginning at verse 14 of Romans chapter 10, where he says this, How then shall they call on him in whom they have not believed? See, that's very easy for you to say where you're like, whoever calls on the name of the Lord shall be saved. Well, how do we get to the point to where they're calling on the name of the Lord? How do they hear it? What do they need to hear? What does the preacher need to say? So that they call on the name of the Lord because they need some provocation to make that call. It's the same reason why if you have to pick up the phone and call somebody, you usually need a reason to do it. So we have to teach and we have to convict them, or they need to hear something that would provoke those to call on the name of the Lord. But what if they haven't believed? Continues on. And how shall they believe in him of whom they have not heard? And how shall they hear without a preacher? And how shall they preach unless are sent as it is written? How beautiful are the feet of those who preach the gospel of peace, who bring glad tidings of good things. This is the, 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 this is the idea of the preaching, the message of Yeshua, of the gospel. It goes out into the nations, and it, this is what has to be done. The good news has to be shared. It has to be spoken. It has to be preached so the people can hear it. However, Verse 16 says this, But they have not all obeyed the gospel. For Isaiah says, Lord, who has believed our report? So then faith comes by hearing and hearing the word of God. This is what, we know. like I said, the word goes out and we have to hear it. We have to hear the testimony. Now, here's the thing about Israel. All throughout the history of Israel, that we have all of the uh, instructions within, whether it's carried on through mainstream Judaism or those that are adopted into Israel, and we read the entirety of Scripture and the entirety of Torah, that we know we are looking for the Messiah. We know we are looking for a prophet like unto Moses. We have all the prophecies pointing to the need for the Messiah. Israel is looking for the Messiah. All of Israel, Judaism. Judaism, some sects of Judaism might say that, uh, that you know, the Messiah, King David was a Messiah, there's all types of Messiah, all types of Messiahs, so it's like the one portion of Judaism usually argues against Christianity that it's all like, oh, what, what is a Messiah exactly? Well, excuse me, but for the majority of Judaism, it is a messianic religion that is looking for a Messiah that has been prophesied in their words, in their scripture, in the Tanakh, for thousands of years to look for a Messiah. Judaism is looking for it. 
So you would think that when the testimony of a man coming and presenting and, 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 and doing all the things that Yeshua did as the Son of God, performing these miracles, the things that he said, preaching and teaching the Torah greater than any teacher that has ever come, that there's the Messiah. There he is. You think Judaism would hear it and obey and follow and think, we have found the Messiah. We have found the one spoken of by Moses and the prophets. So why doesn't all of Israel believe? Because they might hear the words, but they don't really hear the words. Remember, we've been talking about spiritual hear, uh, hearing, spiritual seeing, opening your spiritual eyes, opening your spiritual ears. They can hear the words, but it's not penetrating. Even though Israel's been looking for a Messiah, they've been looking for the one who is going to pre bring good news, who's... Uh, all the good news and, and the fulfillment of Abraham's seed and the promise to Abraham that all the families of the earth would to be blessed. Israel is looking, but not all Israel is hearing. They're not hearing the word as it comes. Continuing on, Paul says this in verse 18, but I say, have they not heard? Yes, indeed. This, their sound has gone out to all the earth and their words to the ends of the earth. The word has gone out. It, the testimony of Yeshua has gone into the world. That, there's, there's no question about that. So, so could they say, well, we haven't heard it. Is the message and the testimony of Jesus Christ, Yeshua the Messiah, has it gone out in a way to where, well, it really hasn't, it hasn't really gained a lot of traction. There's not really a whole lot of knowledge and, and the word uh, and the testimony of Yeshua hasn't gotten very far. Is that something we truly can say in this generation? Actually, no. Now, there are some parts of the world isolated that probably have never heard the gospel, have never seen a Bible, and, there's, and, and there are evangelists out there that are committed and have been laid on their heart to get that word out to the farthest ends of the earth. And God is using them because that word is still going out. But ultimately, when we sit here in modern times, can we even say that any educated Jew living in the world today, that they've, they don't know anything about this guy named Jesus Christ? Actually, what it is, is we've gotten to the point in time where the knowledge of, of that, that there is a belief and there is a testimony of Yeshua the Messiah that has come out, that has formed a religion called Christianity, that has formed the largest religion in the world, and there are very few people that could say in the modern world that it's all like, yes, I, I, I've never heard of the, this Jesus Christ Christian Messiah type of character. The majority of the world has. They've heard it at least, or that there's some knowledge of it, even whether it's in Islam or in Judaism. We all know what the three big religions are, and a lot of educated people know kind of some of the tenets of, of all three. Really, we do. The word has gone out. Now, of course, preachers have not taught it correctly, and, and, and the word has not, it's, it's not been presented exactly or, or, or said in a way that not every Jew has had a chance to sit down and truly hear a teacher teach the words of Yeshua in a way that it's digestible and that it's ministering to them. All that's out there really, you know, for the majority of things is just there's the knowledge of it. So I'm, I'm well aware of the fact that, you know, I can't say that, oh, every Jew has heard of the story of Yeshua the Messiah. No, they, they haven't. It hasn't been presented to them, but at least that knowledge is there. There is this, this idea, but then again, why, why do they not believe? 
Why do they not see that he was the Messiah? That he is the Messiah. For all the believers that have seen and made that confession of faith, why isn't there more? Why do the Jews not see it? They don't see their Messiah. The one that was promised, that fulfilled the prophecies of his of what, what, the first coming, and that is not he, he is going to fulfill more prophecies when he comes a second time, and that why why do they not see it? Well, the word has gone out, but not all Israel is hearing. Paul continues, and this is where he actually quotes from our Torah portion, the the the, the word. Uh, um, the Song of Moses. Verse 19 of Romans 10 says this, But I say, did Israel not know? First Moses said, I will provoke you to jealousy by those who are not a nation, and I will move you to anger by a foolish nation. But, But Isaiah is very bold and says, I was found by those who did not seek me. I was made manifest to those who did not ask for me. But to Israel, he says, all day long, I... The Lord has stretched out my hands to a disobedient and contrary people. Paul is quoting from prophets here. He's quoting from Isaiah, and he's quoting from the words of Moses, even in the Song of Moses, where he says, I will provoke the children of Israel to jealousy by those who are not a nation. At the time, there was no nation or or denomination of Christianity, or the, the religion didn't exist. And in fact, the world has become extremely prosperous, and, and the United States of America, as a Christian nation, has grown into a great power and a great world power, and we are successful as a nation, as a whole, in the global landscape of things. We didn't know those things back when Moses was around saying those things, but the testimony of Yeshua, Jesus the Messiah, has gone out into the nations. Many people have heard this word, and it was a people who wasn't even seeking a Messiah. Israel has always been seeking a Messiah. But all the people of the, of, of the world or any unbelievers, people who were atheists, people who didn't believe anything, they, didn't, they weren't looking for a Messiah, yet the Messiah found them. That word that went out all into the nations, that was going, that, that some hear and they don't really hear, some hear and then they really do hear spiritually what's going on, and they confess their faith in the Messiah and then they are saved. That salvation has come. Some people weren't looking. Israel has been looking, some people have not. Yet that word has fall on, fallen on ears that hear and hearts that understand, and that there are those scattered into the nations that have the testimony of the blessing and the provision that God wanted to give to Israel. And they hear those words. And there's a jealousy that takes place where Israel has become has been provoked to jealousy by the people who have gotten the blessing from the Lord. They're not Jews. They're Gentiles, in fact. And even if you go back to the Song of Moses, and you go to the end of the Song of Moses, back to Deuteronomy 32, the end of the song is all about the Gentiles. Verse 43 of Deuteronomy 32, Rejoice, O Gentiles, with his people! For he will avenge the blood of his servants and and render vengeance on his adversaries, and he will provide atonement for his land and his people. Rejoice, Gentiles! The end of the song is all about the Gentiles rejoicing because of the message that was going out intended for Israel. And that's exactly what has happened. Though he was calling to Israel, the nations responded. 
And this is all about the, the word and the testimony going out in the nations that it's not just about regathering all of Israel. That is what is intended, to bring back all the lost sheep of the tribes of Israel, to join them back together. But the, what also has occurred is the word and the testimony has gone out into the nations. And a great multitude of people have now come and confessed that faith. This is why we have Paul as the apostle to the Gentiles. This is why this word and this testimony has gone out and has gone into all of these nations. See, what's happened in modern times and what the argument against Christianity is this, is that, you know, Jews, they look at this and they're like, oh, you know, here's this Paul guy who started the religion of Christianity, had to become this its own religion apart from Judaism. Judaism, we've always had it. We're, we're the oldest religion uh, in the world. We, we know what we believe, and we've been steadfast to follow these things, and in the line of the rabbis, and we know all these things. And this Paul guy came along, and he started his own religion. Well, but ultimately, because, and, and they say that because it's Gentiles of the world that believe and follow it. Even though it says the gospel was to the Jew first, again, they reject the New Testament and they reject that word, that it was Jews that originally began to believe these things originally, and then the Gentiles started believing. And so then, but as time went on, it became more, more Gentiles were believing in this Jesus Christ guy than Jews were. So then we sit here and result, and it's like, eh, they're just making it their own religion because it's not about it's not about Israel anymore. It's about this church that they're creating, and it's all about the Gentiles. Excuse me, but from the very beginning, all the families of the earth were supposed to be blessed, Jew and Gentile. From the very beginning, back to the Torah, Moses is speaking about that it's the Gentiles that will be caught up and will be believing in these things. Is there any evangelism on Judaism's part? to get word to the Gentiles to come and join the family of God and to be caught up with the family of God? Because that's what we're looking for. The, the prophets say that people, that 10 will grab the, the, the zitziot of a Jew and that they will, we know the Lord is with you and they'll come and follow. Or is Judaism reaching out to the people to then bring them in? No, they're not. They are no, there is not the evangelism within Judaism to go and try to convert and to, and to teach the blessings that God has given to Israel through the prophets, through Moses, to give that to all the Gentiles, even though that's what the Bible says is supposed to happen. We're supposed to be gathering up with us. Doesn't matter who they are. Gentile, Greek, Roman, Russian, even Arab all the families of the earth are supposed to be blessed from the seed of Abraham. Then why aren't we actively working to see that reunification? No, we think that they've just started their own religion. They're doing their own thing. No, that's what was supposed to happen, was the word to the Gentiles. And that's what Paul was called to do. And that's what Paul is trying to share here in Romans. That finished out Romans chapter 10. Let's continue on. What does Romans 11 now talk about? Paul saying here, I say then, has God cast away his people? Certainly not. See, Paul's being accused of rejecting Judaism, of, 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 of that was preaching that the Jews, they had their shot. Now God doesn't want anything to do with them anymore. Now God only wants to deal with the Gentiles and the new church that is being formed here in the first century. Is that what God really wants to do? God forbid. Certainly not. I'm not talking about God casting away Israel. 
Paul gives his credentials here. Certainly not, for I am an Israelite of the seed of Abraham, of the tribe of Benjamin. God has not cast away his people whom he foreknew. Or do you not know what the scripture says of Elijah? How he pleads with God against Israel, saying, Lord, they have killed your prophets and torn down your altars, and I alone am left, and they seek my life. But what does the divine response say to him? I have reserved for myself 7,000 men who have not bowed the knee to Baal. Even so, then at the present time, there is a remnant according to the election of grace. And if by grace, then it is no longer of works. Otherwise, grace is no longer grace. But if it is of works, it is no longer grace. Otherwise, work is no longer work. What then? Israel has not obtained what it seeks. Remember, they were seeking a Messiah. But the elect have obtained it, and the rest were blinded. Just as is written, God has given them a spirit of stupor. Eyes that that they should not see, ears that they should not hear to this very day, talking about the people who haven't heard. And David says, let their table become a snare and a trap, a stumbling block and a recompense to them. Let their eyes be darkened and that they do not see, bow down their back always. These, we're, we're talking about Israel's rejection. They have not heard the word even though they were seeking it. But does that mean that God has turned away from Israel? Cast them away as if they are nothing, only we're now doing this Gentile thing? Paul says, God forbid. My my New King James here, as it goes into verse 11 of Romans chapter 11, the headline, it's broken up into sections here, and the first part of chapter 11 is Israel's rejection is not completely total. Israel's not completely rejected, and Israel's rejection, not final, is the new headline as we begin verse 11 of Romans 11. It says this, I say then, have they stumbled that they should fall? Certainly not. But through their fall, to provoke them to jealousy, salvation has come to the Gentiles. Now, if their fall is riches for the world, then their failure, then their failure riches for the Gentiles, how much more their fullness. For I speak to you Gentiles, inasmuch as I am an apostle to the Gentiles, I magnify my ministry. If by any means I may provoke to jealousy those who are my flesh and save some of them. For if they're being cast away into the reconciling of the world, what will their acceptance be but life from the dead? For if the first fruit is holy, the lump is also holy. And if the root is holy, so are the branches. And if some of the branches were broken off, and you, being a wild olive tree, were grafted in among them, and with them become a partaker of the root and the fatness of the olive tree, do not boast against the branches. But if you do boast, remember that you do not support the root, but it's the root that supports you. Let me stop right there at verse 19, as I'm starting to say, and, and starting to describe what's going on here. Israel was the original tree. It was the original branches that was seeking the Messiah. And those branches have been broken off. Those who have fallen away. So now we have a root that is ready to bring life. That It's like, okay, right, well, we're going to graft branches into this tree so that life may grow. And, and, and Gentiles, those were, that are wild branches, those that were not originally a part of that original olive tree, can be grafted in and receive those same blessings. 
But the thing that he's trying to teach us is that those original branches that broke off, they can be grafted back into the same tree. And if by his teaching and his preaching that he is teaching Gentiles of the nations to come and join in with the life, the, the, the giving of life that God has through the testimony of Israel, through the, those roots and through that, uh, through that tree, that if some of the other branches, whatever gets grafted on, doesn't matter. Wild branches, natural branches. The one thing you do is don't boast against one branch or the other, especially when all have been broken off. Let me continue on. You will say then, branches were broken off that I might be grafted in. Well said. Because of unbelief, they were broken off, and you stand by faith. Do not be haughty, but fear. For if God did not spare the natural branches, he may not spare you either. All right? Case closed. Once saved, always saved. Doesn't work. Because he just said that the natural branches that originally grew from the tree, they've been broken off. And then any new ones that have been grafted in, don't get haughty. Don't then say, well, look, see what we got. It's like, no, if God was willing to break off the natural branches, how much easier is it for him to snap off one that was grafted in? Especially if it was still in the process of uh, taking root, if you will. There's no such thing as once saved, always saved. Because once you think that you're in, that you've been grafted in, God has already shown he is willing to separate from those who reject his covenant. If you reject the covenant, he'll break you off the, off the tree. Whether you've been grafted back in or, or, or whether you were there originally from the very beginning, even that old branch that's been growing the whole time, if that branch doesn't produce good fruit, we'll snap that one right off. Don't ever get haughty boasting a one branch over another. Therefore, consider the goodness and severity of God on those who fell. Severity, but towards you, goodness. If you continue in his goodness, otherwise you also will be cut off. And they also, if they do not continue in unbelief, will be grafted in. For God is able to graft them in again. For if you were cut out of the olive tree, which is wild by nature, and were grafted contrary to nature into a cultivated olive tree, how much more will these who are natural branches be grafted into their own olive tree? It's like a fitting a piece into a puzzle. If Israel can come back into the understanding and come back into covenant with God, the original God they were already in covenant with before, it... it it's like a hand and a glove. They fit right back together because it was a natural, they, it was the tree they originally came from. There's no, there's no different species. There's no different challenge, whatever. God can easily graft back in that tree. And what a beautiful thing that it is when a Jew comes to faith in the Messiah and realizes the true nature of his relationship with God that was from the very beginning for, through Abraham. And then realizing the Messiah that has come confessing faith in that Messiah to be grafted into its original natural olive tree. What an amazing thing that will be. Oh, by the way, the same thing's happening with wild branches as well. They're coming in and they're getting all grafted in. Once again, don't, don't boast one branch or the other that somehow just because I'm a Jew by, by heritage that I somehow some, have some more important uh, role in the kingdom. No, it's like we're all being grafted back in. And that same warning goes, any branch grafted back in, 
could be broken off again. Verse 25, For I do not desire, brethren, that you should be ignorant of this mystery, lest you should be wise in your own opinion that blindness in part has happened to Israel until the fullness of the Gentiles has come in. And so all Israel will be saved, as it is written. The Deliverer will come out of Zion, and he will turn away ungodliness from Jacob. For this is my covenant with them when I take away their sins. Concerning the gospel, they are enemies for your sake. But concerning the, elect, the election, they are beloved for the sake of the fathers. For the gifts and the calling of God are irrevocable. For as you were once disobedient to God, yet have now obtained mercy through their disobedience, even so these also have now been disobedient, that though the mercy shown you, they also may obtain mercy. For God has committed to them all to disobedience, that he might have mercy on all. Look, the whole thing of this this joyous occasion, if Israel had not rejected the covenant, then would there be any need for the word to go out to the Gentiles and the nations? Well, not in the way that it did. If Israel hadn't rejected the covenant, then Israel would have done that job. Israel would have been the kingdom of priests that would have gone to the nations and would have brought everybody in, into the faith of the Messiah, if Israel hadn't rejected the covenant. But in their disobedience, the word has gone out. And that there is mercy to be had for everyone who has ever walked in disobedience. There is mercy to be had to come back into the faith. And the same mercy that Gentiles get for walking their entire life in sin or in rejection of the things of the Lord. The Jews also have uh, obtained mercy for them having the things of the Lord and then rejecting them, but then coming back. Mercy is to be had for all people. That this is the whole reason, and and this is the whole idea. This whole divide between Jew and Gentile. Who are the people of God? Who is the testimony for? Who is supposed to be saved in all of this and through the testimony of Yeshua? Is Is the testimony of Yeshua supposed to save all the Gentiles? Yes. Is it supposed to save all the Jews? Yes. Those two things are not opposed to each other. Yet we have religions today that try to make that divide. You guys do your thing over here, and, and we'll do our thing over here. We, we have, you know, let's not let's not mix things right here. Whatever, you know, we we all have Judeo-Christian values. We all kind of believe in the same God. We all have the the, the same original uh, scriptures. But let's just like let's sort of separate because you know, obviously, God is doing you know two separate things, right? No, God's doing one thing, and we need to stop reject or stop dividing what God is doing with our own human mind and take a step back, open both eyes, and see what God is doing in all of it. <laughs> the, the, the belief in Yeshua and the work of the church that is done for 2,000 years has been leading people to the Messiah and Judaism having for all these years the testimony of the commandments of God and how to obey Him and how to be in covenant with Him and we're somehow thinking these two things are opposed to each other? Excuse me, but, there, but there's a tree that's sitting here ready to be fed through the roots and thriving and it's just waiting for whoever's willing to graft back into it. Whoever it is, whatever branch that it is. Do you want to find yourself and it's like, I'm going to do my own thing. I'm going to, I've broken off of that branch and I'm going to stick it in the ground and hope that it grows. 
That's not how Israel's supposed to work. That's not how God's people is supposed to work. Mercy is to be had for all people. Finishing out the chapter, verse 33. Oh, the depth of the riches, both of the wisdom and knowledge of God. How unsearchable are his judgments and his ways past finding out. For who has known the mind of the Lord? Or who has become his counselor? Or who has first given it given to him, and it shall be repaid to him? For of him and through him and to him are all things, and to whom be glory forever. Amen. Who, who is it that, that knows the mind of Messiah? That, the, that, that, that knows the, the mind of the Lord that says, you know, this is what the Lord's doing. We're just going to do our little thing right here, and this is the work of the Lord. And then we're so short-sighted to, to see the big picture. That somehow we take these words, the, the words that are between these bindings right here, and we somehow twist them to think that, you know, this part's for me, and this part's for you, and that it's not all one story, and that, that, that God doesn't have a plan for how these 66 books ended up here, and what God is trying to do in this world. Take a step back and realize what the Lord is doing. It's not about starting some new religion. It's not about starting some new denomination of Christianity. It's about finding the truth in Scripture and how is the story supposed to end. It's supposed to end with all of creation returning back to be in covenant with the Lord. Israel, the Gentiles, all people, all families being blessed by the testimony of God and the testimony of Yeshua the Messiah. That's the point of all of this, for Israel and Gentiles to unite together to bring about the restoration of the whole house of Israel, not just the native-born, because all of Israel was never just the native-born. When they went into the wilderness, there was all kinds of people in there. All kinds of people all grafted into the tribes, and every tribe looked different or, uh, or whatever. There's a bunch of Egyptians there and Ethiopians there, and there's a whole bunch of people all, all mixed in right there. It's not about race. It's not about heritage. It's not about anything except for the heritage of being the creation of God and being a member of mankind, not the member of some specific race. That is what we have to learn. That's what the Scripture is trying to teach us. And we need to stop trying to divide the Scripture and divide the creation of God and divide the people into this part's for you and this race and this part's for us and this race. Stop it. That's not the Bible I read, and that's not the message that this ministry is teaching. This is the story. This is the end of the whole reason for the Torah and the commandments and what Moses is pleading with the children of Israel to learn. Yet there are those that don't hear it, those that don't see it, those that don't, even though the word has gone out, they still reject it. But in the course of that word going out, there are those that are hearing it, that are repenting from their sins, are turning back, and are being grafted into the tree, back into the creation from which we came. What a beautiful thing that is, and will you pray that we might see the greater fulfillment of all these prophecies, that in my lifetime or, or your lifetime or whoever might hear this years from now, that in your lifetime, that we would see the restoration of the whole house of Israel and the establishment of the kingdom of God. Amen? Let us pray.
Heavenly Father, we thank you, Lord, for this teaching. We thank you, Lord, for the words of Paul and, and the teaching and the letter to the Romans. Father, we thank you for the words of Moses. And Father, I pray that the words of Moses, the song of Moses, would penetrate us this year in a way that has never been felt or seen before. Cause your spirit to make the words come alive. Cause your spirit to prevail in our hearts and our minds and lead us into following truly what your plan for Israel and for all of mankind is. Surround us in your perfect will in everything that we do. Father, I thank you, Lord, for this opportunity that, that, to, to teach and to share this word. And Father, may it be your word that goes out from this place, not the word of any man, not the agenda of any man, Father, but simply your truth and your word and your uh, intention for your words to fall upon ears that hear and hearts that understand. I pray that those people would be the ones that would hear this word. Father, I pray that we would continue to soften our hearts, set aside our own human spirits, Lord, and submit only to your spirit in all things that we do. We love you, we bless you, and we thank you for this time and this opportunity, and we thank you for this Sabbath of rest. We thank you for all of these things. It's in your Son, Yeshua, that we pray. Amen. Shabbat Shalom. May the Lord bless you and keep you. The Lord make his face to shine upon you and be gracious to you. May the Lord lift up his countenance upon you and give you peace. In the name of Yeshua the Messiah, the Prince of Peace. Shalom. Shalom.